From runasradio.com, you're listening to Run As Radio, the internet audio talk show for IT professionals with Richard Campbell. This is Brandon Wen announcing show number 620, Why DevOps Works, with guest Martin Woodward. Recorded Thursday, December 13th, 2018. Run As Radio is produced each week by Pwop Productions, providing professional media and podcasting services online at pwop.com. You can follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash runasradio. Thank you, Brandon. This is Richard Campbell, and thanks for listening to Run As Radio. And here we are rolling through 2019 already, although through the magic of time shifting, I'm still recording in 2018. We won't talk too much about that. It gets confusing. And my guest today is Martin Woodward. And I have your bio here somewhere. Let's just put that in place. That's a good idea. And my guest today is Martin Woodward, who's the principal program manager for DevOps at Microsoft, focusing on what used to be called Visual Studio Team Services, but is now called Azure DevOps. And before that, he was the executive director of the .NET Foundation, and helped drive Microsoft's move to open source. So he has lived in both worlds. But even before that, he was a Java and Linux and Mac guy for the developer division and sort of brought Git into Microsoft in the first place. And before that, was it Team City? Uh, Team Prize it was, yeah. Team Prize is what it was called. Yeah. Holy man. You really have lived the DevOps life, the evolution of this relationship and the tooling like that's been your focus for as long as I've known you, which is well, well over ten years, fifteen years now. Yeah, and it's crazy, isn't it? I was—I think the f- probably the first time we met was like over dinner in in a conference somewhere, maybe Florida or some tech head or something. Almost like that, certainly, so. right? It's it's hard to keep track. Yeah, yeah. No, it's been living that world, and it's been interesting to see how kind of Microsoft have evolved in, in that time frame. You know, I, when when I was working at Team Prize for a, a cheeky little startup, having a real job, you know, trying to make money and all that sort of thing. And that was Eric Sink, wasn't it? That's right. Yeah, Eric. Still in, still in touch with Eric. Yeah, yeah. Because we did a show with him and then we sort of dug in further and then they got acquired. Yeah. <laughs> Funny how that works. We, we should get you to interview lots of uh, small companies, Richard, and then you should, t- you should take shares in them before you interview them. Strangest things, isn't it? You know, yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. the, the secret part of yeah. my life that people generally don't know is that I've been involved in lots of acquisitions. Not that I was involved in any way in, in what happened back in, in 2007 with uh, uh, with Team Prize. But yeah, it is interesting, isn't it? Yeah, that's the first time we talked, I think, was the, was the Team Prize conversation. Yeah, there we go. All and ago. then so, yeah, and then kind of the companies kind of changed to be a lot more like we were already working anyway. So yeah. I've just been, it's just been such a privilege to, you know, who'd have thought I'd survive in Microsoft as like the Java Linuxy guy, yeah. you know, but doing if, and this I don't crazy think agile stuff. You didn't become Microsoft so much as Microsoft became you in some respects. Yeah, I'm incredibly luckily, you know, it wasn't <laughs> entirely my fault. You know what I mean? It was, uh, I, I joined at a very good time, but no, it's been a, it's been a near just, just under a decade yeah. and it's been a, a fantastic ride so far so and long may it continue it seems to be getting stronger and doing more interesting things so yeah it's very very exciting time to be here in some respects you came in in one of the darkest times like and i'm, I'm the guy working on the history of net so i'm pretty yeah. focused on those few years in in 2000 in, in, no, 2009 was too bad but like 2010 2011 2012 
those were hard years for Microsoft. And that's them really embracing open source. But then you, they had folks like you that had already been there and like, you know, this is how this works. I remember being, we're not around this too much, but I remember being in a, you know, I was an MVP uh, before I joined the company. Right. And I remember being in an MVP summit, sort of talking uh, one time to the product group and they were talking about publishing something as open source, probably on SourceForge back then, you know, because it was, it was that long ago. Yeah. And, um, they were talking about sort of pushing something over and sending it over. I was like, no, 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 no. That's not, you're not doing open source right if you're publishing it that way. You know, the only, the only time you'll get the benefit of open source is when you're actually working as part of that community as a, as a, as an equal in that community, right. working live in the repository in the open so that everybody can follow along the changes with you and you're not like forked from your own, from the rest of your community. Um, it was always a pet hate when I was at, um, when I was really focused. I mean, I still help on the .NET Foundation side, but when I was doing the job that John, uh, John Galloway does now um, mm. over in the .NET Foundation, I used to see quite a lot of slides, especially internally, that said Microsoft uh, like with and then the community, you know what I mean? There's different bar charts. Right. And it, it was almost, it was like Microsoft versus the community. We're like, no, Microsoft are part of the community. There's Microsoft and then people who don't work at Microsoft and, you know, and you know, different companies will hopefully be as big a proportion of that business later on in terms of contribution. So anyway. It's come true yeah, today. Well, things have changed. You know, that, they, that the only source repository for a lot of those projects now is in GitHub. There isn't another yeah, one. Yeah, and you know the VS Code team are all in GitHub. That yeah. worked out okay for them. Um, you know the the all the .NET stuffs obviously moved over that way now as well. So it's just it's the only way you can have it be sustainable if people on the team have to follow the same processes to get changes in pr to production as uh, the members of the community do. You yeah. know. Um, so that all the all the standards that we have in terms of having like four eyes minimum on code and all that sort of thing, which you know, uh, code reviews and all this sort of stuff, all those f apply to everybody equally. Then then people can follow along and then people can be part of that community. So it's awesome. all good. The other aspect that when we've had a few conversations along the way, both on .NET Rocks and on Run As Radio, is this yeah. change of the culture inside of Microsoft around how they build and deploy software. Just this this DevOps thing has penetrated Microsoft itself. I was just doing some stats, mm -hmm. um, like looking. You know, we're coming up to. We're in the new year now. By the, I hope the future is awesome. Um, but right now, in sort of real time, it's coming towards the end of the year, and so I was just doing some sort of end of year, you know, vanity metrics right. kind of thing, just to. Um, and little attaboy stuff and little pats on the back. Yeah, exactly. You know, all that sort of stuff. And looking at it, we have like, so using the, just the Azure DevOps tool and using that as kind of a, a mirror of the number of people doing DevOps in Microsoft. Like that's a lie because just because you're using DevOps tools doesn't mean you're doing DevOps. Right, and then right. equally you can do DevOps without using our tools. You know, sure. the, the tools are the easiest part. It's the people in the process. that's the hard part. But, um, if we just look at Azure DevOps usage inside Microsoft, there's 96,000 in people using Azure DevOps now in the company, and the the number and there's that, only like 120,000 employees. <laughs> it's pretty insane, isn't it? Now, of those, like a lot of those are overhead, like me. You know, I think there was only overhead. I think it's about 40,000 people with engineer in their title or something okay. like that. You know, so you know, a lot of people are you know pointing head bosses and things. But um, now, now one would argue that the whole point of DevOps is not just that it's dev and it's ops, but it's also infosec and QA and the 
uh, and the the PM types that are feeding ideas in and and are part of the process. And in some respects, too, how, how you plug your customer into that chain, too, so that you can see clearly how they're being influenced by your quality and by your outputs. That's exactly it. That's exactly it. Because um, on the development side, I think sort of the developers have seen DevOps as kind of the natural continuation of Agile. Right. And so Agile is all about, you know, doing things in iterations, bringing your customers close to the process, you know, working collaboratively uh, across the whole team. And then DevOps is just a natural extension of that because now it's you, you're Agile all the way into production. So sure. it's not just... Um, you know, and and so it's bringing every it's bringing everybody to the party. So I think they've seen that. I think possibly that's been a bit of a, a rude shock to some of the people who were you know held the keys to the database, held the keys to production in the past. Right. And um, and now they've got like these. You know, uh, you can always always tell the difference between like developers and IT pros in a conference by looking at what they're wearing. I think, you know, if you see a backpack, <laughs> then it's, you know what I mean? You can spot the different types of rucksacks compared with the leather shoulder bags and all this sorts of things. Right. So, it's always it. fascinating to go to DevOps, DevOps, you know, to try and in, in, a, in a tech head or something. So, um, yeah, no, it's it's been really interesting to see how it's gone along. The, the, the thing about DevOps is that it's not, you know, it's not, uh, it's not a, it's not just a title. It's yeah. not just a name and for a product. I know we confusingly called. Did like, call, you have made a product you now call DevOps, and I resent yeah. you for that. I don't like that. Yeah. It's a, like it's yeah. super search resistant and everything, right? Yeah. Is the you know if we called it Azure Azure Tools for DevOps Teams would probably be a more Microsoft, more Very accurate Microsoft name, name. But yeah. you know that then it's a bit longer because it's it's the collection of services to support DevOps Teams is what right. it is. Um, and Azure's really like kind of. If you look at the clouds from the different providers, then you know Azure's the cloud of these DevOps tools built in because obviously Microsoft have a a huge um, you know history of building these types of tools for developers. So of course they're going to bring them into their cloud and you know build them straight in. So yeah, that makes sense. But we see DevOps as not not the tools. The tools are the easy part. It's the thing, you know the thing that Donovan always quotes is that it's like the combination of the people, the process, and the tools right. to, to 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 get continuous delivery to your customers. So how how do we get better at delivering faster to the people that are using the system? And I wonder if that's what IT folks struggle with most is that speed aspect because it seems reckless. Well, there is this constant tension in IT um, between speed and control, isn't there? Right. There's you know, and as IT professionals, we make the money for our business by being reliable um be, being reliable but also yeah uptime by being on time yeah <laughs> but you know it's no it's no good being 100 percent reliable and and missing the market yeah not having and the so features you, on the other hand you don't make any money if the site's down exactly <laughs> so you've got you're constantly sort of they call it ken schwaber um in like the agile books and things called it the edge of chaos right which is kind of you know a, a term which appeals to me having worked on some of the teams i've worked on before i came to microsoft obviously is fantastically not chaotic here you know he says, no, not at all um, and, you yeah, know the but, way i find um, fascinating is like that continuous delivery thing is clearly working for the office 365 team New features all the time, like it's almost mind-boggling to keep up with how well they've done. But it doesn't seem to be working for the Windows team. Like the you look at for me as in run as 
going back next last year with the battle over 1809 and the breaking uh, .net update like they they the open letter saying slow down and which I thought really interesting because all my experience with DevOps has said you probably want to actually go faster the windows team's not going fast enough but the customer is asking you to slow down because you're breaking things well, and that's the thing you've got to try and not do too often or when you break things to minimize your blast radius. Right. And they've kind of, I don't know, I don't, you know, we kind of try to do that in different ways. So you've got to look at the different ways that, you know, you kind of deploying stuff to your users and, you know, get some control there. So to that you minimize the blast radius. Sure. Um, like the, the Windows teams have their sort of, you know, the different rings of development. In Azure DevOps, we do it by, you know, when, I'm going to say we're not that sophisticated in terms of the world of DevOps. I'm, I'm, I'm you know, because we're not really. We do it by where we deploy the bits to. So we have all, you know, we're in a number of Azure regions. Sure. And we we split those regions down into sort of five rings. Um, and the region that we're in, that our account is in, and then some of the internal accounts is is kind of ring zero because we're we are developers at heart, so we have our zero numbered you know arrays. Well, and it, and there's something honest about the dog food relationship that this is hurting you <laughs> before it hurts us. Yeah, but we're very lucky that we can do that because we use our own tools. Right. But 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 sometimes you have uh, it lulls you into a false sense of security because you you get through ring zero thinking yeah everything's awesome yeah this 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 release is super stable and then you you push it out you know to further rings and then you run into some issues and kind of when you do the post-mortems of these so again a post-mortem is a key part of, of the DevOps process sure. learning is a key part of the DevOps process and when you look at the contributing factors uh in your post-mortem because once you get a complicated system the, the term root cause analysis tends to be you know not accurate because right. there tends to not be one thing um the, the last time there was a root cause analysis for a data center outage i was involved in it was when i accidentally leant over and switched off the power supply that was powering that rack you know <laughs> which actually happened during a live demo which was awesome that's but, awesome uh, yeah, normally it's not that simple. Normally it's a, a set of contributing factors. Yes. Like, like, um, you know, we had a power spike, the HVAC, uh, system didn't work as expected, blah, 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 you know, whatever. You, there's normally like a bunch of contributing factors. Sure. So, um, when you're doing these, um, postmortems, you just got to really kind of learn what you're doing and, and, you know, see what you can take from that and move on. Yeah. I, I the question is, of course, how to make windows better. You know, they have the insider rings and so forth that I guess that we can see sort of as IT folks. I'm just worried that the folks that are on the insiders aren't as diligent as say you guys as dog fooders where you're, you very much are testing the software as well as doing your work. I'm afraid too many people are an insider, almost like it's a prestige thing, Mm. but they only put those insider bits on secondary hardware and they don't really do much with it. And so they're not, I don't think the windows team is getting enough feedback. Yeah. You've got to have to be careful about the data. So we, we are our canary ring. Yes. And for in with Azure DevOps, which is the thing I know more about. And then when you, um, which is great, but we had some, we've had some problems once where we deployed to say the next, the next let, the next ring. And then it, it sort of, the system came down around its ears. Right. And it turned out, um, it was due to a regex. And then you, you always know the classic. And, you know, if you solve a problem with regex, right. you've now got at least two problems. At least two um, problems. 
and, and this was this was exactly that because um, while we are great, you know, we're heavy users of our system. We've got ninety six thousand people. We ship eighty five thousand times a day in the company. You know, you know we're, right. we're heavy users of a system. We're somewhat heterogeneous. We use the system in the same way. Right, right. So not heterogeneous. Sorry, we're somewhat m- of a monoculture. Right. You know? And so um, we don't like everybody using the system tends to be using like us english locale right in this particular example even though you know we've got people lots of people from lots of different countries um because we're an american company quite often you set your system to us english locale because it's just easier so that word spells things as right. the americans expect rather than correctly <laughs> so you know, no no use in them yeah, yeah that sort of thing but also yeah, it's all they, it's all microsoft it so architecturally configuration wise and even to some degree the hardware footprint yeah, you do exactly. have a set of of sort of recommended hardware that Microsoft IT provides, and that n- is another kind of monoculture. Yeah, and so when when the, w- what this particular problem for us happened was because everybody has similar locales, all their client locales were the same, and so right. this particular bit of regex was actually locale dependent. Right, um, and, and the, but, the moment you pushed out to a ring where people are actually using their local culture settings, boom. Well, it was where they had more than, I think it was about six local culture settings because it right. turned out like the default cache for regexes, you know, it pre-compiles regexes and then um, like, it, so it, it would compile them and then it would store it, and it would be fine if it's one or two locales right. on a server. But the minute there were dozens of locales on a server, all of a sudden it was getting into like a deadlock you know, because it was trying to jit things and compile things and get things into nice. cache and performance fell around its ears. So, and that, that was an example where, again, you know, the 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 culture problem kind of um, of our canary ring, that the the issues with our canary ring affected us. So, in our post mortem, we look at fixing that. Like, how can we how can we make sure our early rings are a better, um, you know a better test of for later on uh, as part of the post. And what a great example of the tool's not going to save you here. This is a cultural change that says, yeah, we need to use a more diverse set of culture settings on a routine basis if we're to catch this early. Yeah, but you've got to be careful. So, you know, we talk about this tension between like delivering quickly and having control. Right. You have to be. You have to make sure you're not adding friction into your engineering processes yes. for that's not worth the business value you're getting out of them. Yeah, it's it's a really interesting assessment. I'm going to pause just for a moment here for this very important message. This episode of Run As Radio is brought to you by the Humanitarian Toolbox. Humanitarian Toolbox builds open source software for disaster relief organizations. One of the leading projects called Already focuses on getting volunteers into the right place at the right time using cloud and mobile technology. HTBox builds and operates this and other applications on behalf of a variety of disaster response organizations, and they need your help. Go to htbox.org for more information or to make a tax-deductible donation. HTBox is a 501c3 U.S. registered charity. And we're back. It's Richard Campbell here talking to Martin Woodward about why DevOps works. And we're, we're pressing against this tension still of fast versus in control. Mm. So your argument then is if we turn on all these culture features, yeah, we're going to pick that problem up sooner, but we're going to slow things down enough that it, 
it may not be worthwhile. Like I wonder if some of those problems that the Windows team had last year, it's not that they didn't know there was this problem. They thought it was very minor in the overall scheme of things. And, and then it turned out they assessed it wrong. Or maybe they're not getting the signal back. Sure. I don't, I don't know. Or maybe maybe the signal data is not coming back as quickly as Well, there's so many. Need. I got to think in a case of something like this where there's literally billions of copies of the software, the signal to there's so many signals filtering out that noise and saying this is a relevant issue. I, I think everyone's going to struggle with this. It's easy when someone has a complaint about something, say it's just that person. Yeah, like actually being able to assess the scope of a concern, I think, is a, one of the most challenging parts, especially when we're moving quickly like this. Like, I see all this need for automation to be able to get that feedback in, but culling through that feedback is a very challenging problem. Yeah. So there's a couple of things here. First of all, like, so you know, we, we were talking about why DevOps works. And, yeah. You know, why kind of why do we want to be doing DevOps? And a lot of that's down to just being able to improve our speed of iteration. Right. So making sure we can ship quicker because in a world where we're, a lot of us are building services, you know, that are always updating or always on the thing you want to optimize for is the, the meantime to fix. Right. Where, whereas in the past, it was always the meantime between failures. You know, when we were shipping software on actual shrink wrap boxes, it right. was very expensive. Right. Um, it was meantime between failure because you really couldn't have a failure. But now it's meantime to fix because we know if we iterate quickly, it, you know, if we're trying to hone in on solving a customer's business problem, we're not, we're not going to get it right the first time. Sure. So if we can keep honing in in small increments getting closer to what you know what we need to be then we know we're more likely to get to a good solution quicker um and we and we're, we're going to get good at all those things that slow us down by repeating but like there's donovan's definition of devops which is really good and really accurate like my dumber definition of devops martin's dumb definition of devops is, <laughs> you know keep doing keep like what hurts the most right. and getting stuff to your customers find what hurts do it until you get good at it and then look again, like do a little bit, do it a little bit better. Right. And then look again at what hurts the most. I, I wonder if this is a part that IT folks generally struggle with is that we're asking dev to take much smaller bites now that they're shipping yeah. little changes on a routine basis because it's easier to diagnose them. Like we're not having those big bang releases anymore. Yeah. So in some ways it's almost like version numbers don't mean much. But it's so much easier to diagnose something that's maybe been worked on for a month and shipped slipstream. And within hours, we can see that's causing issues in production. There you go. And can then decide, are we going to roll forward on it? Are we going to roll back on it? Yes, yeah, so you've just touched on like the two most important things there. So one is you're making small incremental changes to your system. And so you, it, that's the first thing you do as a, as you know, when you're diagnosing a problem, isn't it? Is to, well, identify exactly where it went wrong. Right. So if you're making small incremental changes, the next thing you need is good telemetry. Like, have I made, have I broke anything or not? Right. Have I made the system better or worse? It is, it's no good being able to ship 85,000 times a day or whatever it is now if you can't get instant feedback if it takes you six months to get telemetry back right because otherwise you're just going to head off in the wrong direction a lot quicker well and telemetry um, is not customers calling and complaining like if you don't no. know about how it before they know that they were already having problems that's not good enough telemetry I, I think this is a piece where operations folks need to dive in like if you're having this devops mentality pressed upon you by the the devs 
the, I don't know that they take telemetry near as seriously as operations needs to in this scenario. Yeah, and also you've got to look at your business processes and think, you know, the processes I had in place have been fit for purpose for me because otherwise I wouldn't have put them in place. Right. But were they fit for purpose for the way I was working rather than the way I'm working today or yeah. for the risks of yesterday rather than the risks of today? And so, you know, like we, you know, I've like, you know, had to run databases where I've had idiots coming in and, you know, doing a select star on the entire table and sticking sure. it in memory because it was it was easier because I didn't have to talk to the database team if I need, you know, by by doing something horrible like modifying a sprock and querying the database efficiently, you know? I could just like people do dumb stuff like that, but you can notice those problems a lot quicker if you rather than having to put lots of restrictions in place to stop them happening, instead you're trying to put the telemetry in place to allow you to see more quickly when stuff like that happens and because only a small thing has changed it's a lot quicker to see well okay it's something that went up in the last four hours what did we deploy in the last four hours okay well let's you know and then drill in and see what's going on and rather than waiting you know you know sort of to see the whole site go down and then see what went wrong you're kind of noticing little performance changes so. so and it's from an instrumentation point of view if i care about that concern around the database it's not that i am turning on the governor to limit the size of queries is that I have sort of a continuously running test system showing me what's the most resource consuming query going on right now. There you go. And then you're constantly, if this is a thing for you, you're constantly looking at, you know, what are my most expensive operations? Sure. And then like, continue feeding that back into the team so now as part of every deployment you're trying to reduce the amount you know how much your system costs to run right and so as well as adding in new features in that same sprint you're also making the queries more efficient you know that those sorts of things need to be part of the life cycle as well it isn't just you know do i make a button red or green to get the customer acquisition it's how do i reduce the cost of running my site how do i make my site more reliable um how do i improve the telemetry of my site these are all important things to to consider as as you as you're building your features for that sprint yeah yeah the idea that operations has input into the punch list of work items for the next iteration for a group of developers. It's like, guys, these are the pieces causing us the most pain right now. Like we're not going to get everything fits. The punch list is always long, but if you can get the top one knocked off on a regular basis, like in a lot of ways, this kind of instrumentation is how we actually pay back technical debt. Yeah. It's how you discover it in the first place. Sure, The fact that ops, owns the visibility into technical debt because we're we're ultimately the ones that are paying it anyway (laughs) yeah and and it and it's trying to again it's making the whole team see it right you know that 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 that's crazy dev team that did a select star on the database which is a real story by the way sure they were doing like select star on the entire database sticking it in you know and a in a in a hash table or something nuts and going over it because that was the most cost-effective thing for them because they weren't paying the cost. You know, they weren't seeing what happened with the database. That the 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 SQL database admins would magically tune their database to you know stick all that in memory anyway, so it was super fast for them. So they like you know, um, it kind of didn't cost them anything, right? And it sped them up because they no longer had to ask to get a store procedure change because they never had to make that ask anymore, right? Why not just make it easy for them to request a store procedure change? Yeah. 
and then it's efficient for everybody. Okay, you 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 talk about root cause analysis. The there the real root cause was it was too hard to get the changes done necessary. Yeah, and so the, all these other problems were created, and you turn it into an arms race rather than getting down to that root cause analysis that actually simplifies the whole process. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, but then, I mean, and we touched on progressive exposure. So that's one that's one like technique that's used in DevOps. But the whole point is you just getting in, incrementally improving not just your system but your process mm-hmm, how do mm-hmm. we make this a little bit better of a sprint and then move on and you know just because you make somebody a devops engineer you don't magically suddenly you, you're not doing devops and just because you're using devops tools just because you bought devops from microsoft right. sorry you're not doing devops i've used the term i think i did, used it with donovan once it's like it's not like devops comes in a squirt bottle and you spray it on everybody and they go faster yeah it's a, sadly not <laughs> it's why they call it work richard yeah it's weird huh but, you uh-huh. know, we said the same thing in the dev world about Agile. It's like, Agile is not a yeah. product. You don't get to just get put it in a squirt ball, spray it on the devs, and they go faster. Yeah. It doesn't work that way. These are process changes. And so, it means you have to have conversations, which is awful. <laughs> Especially with those crazy, smelly devs, you uh. know, carrying their rucksacks. Yeah. We, we do the thing around testing as well. You know, like you were talking about, you know, minimizing changes and, sure. and like, you know what... Um, I was talking to some people yesterday and I sort of, you know, asked like, hey, who tests in production? Because that's that's like the ultimate. That feels like a bit of a sin when the old, you know, in, when you're in like who's testing on their production hardware and everyone's like, no, 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 I don't test. We don't test. It's funny because arguably all software is tested in production, right? It's just a question well, of did you, you did test before that? Well, and that was the thing I asked them. I was like, okay, so who's got who's got bugs that their customers logged for them? against their production system and everybody's hand went up and i'm like yeah you are all testing in production so deal with it like do processes that optimize for the fact admit it to yourself first of all and this is not you know it feel might feel bad but actually it's what happens so let's build a process that actually optimizes for the fact that we know we are testing in production right so how do we minimize the risk we use progressive exposure we use you know like different sort of circuit breakers and self-recovery techniques and all that sort of stuff to minimize the risk. And this is an interesting aspect for ops that I think is new are the idea that I can, we're going to put a feature in dark, right? It's not visible to the customer, but we want to start benchmarking its overheads, its reliability and so forth. And so like, let's learn it on only one of the container sets. Yeah. And if it's causing a problem, you can turn it off. Exactly. And that, but that's an operations decision point. I, I've actually described it to, it's like when Luke Skywalker turned off his targeting computer, right? It's like, Luke, you've turned off your computer. Like they, we, we built that dashboard, that feature flag controller so that when you switched it off, the person who had built it got a notice that had been turned off by operations. Yeah. So it stimulated the conversation. I saw you turn it off. What, you know, what was the concern? Yeah. Well, we normally, so like give you an example from, you know, when we did the rename from uh, VSTS to Azure DevOps, like that was a fairly complicated thing that we wanted to not get wrong because, you know, a change of name has no customer improvement factor. So if you do that wrong, people are going to be really unhappy that you broke the system because of a name change, you know? Right. Um, 
And so we wanted to make sure we didn't do it wrong. And so we'd had that, we'd had the code running with a name change for a couple of sprints in production. And then we kind of flipped the bit, flipped the feature flag that showed us the name in a couple of, in a few accounts first and sort of moved that out a bit and then made the bigger name change when we announced it on the day, which is something we right. don't like doing normally. We like to move things out slowly, but you know, when you change your name, it turns out people notice it's it. Kind in the of, press. It is a big, yeah, it, it is a, a big drop. Yeah. Like you have to. You want to avoid big bangs, but sometimes you have a big bang. You yeah. just have to do it right. But it's interesting that that Azure DevOps existed in the code well before you showed anyone that Azure DevOps existed in the code. Well, a great example I like to give as well is around the Git stuff. Git was available in the first on-premises release of TFS 2013, I think. So, you know, you could host Git repositories in TFS 2013. The code forget that was running on the live service was shipped in tfs 2012 update three and four like it had the code in to right. be a git server it was just switched off behind a feature flag because we knew it wasn't fully ready yet you know we knew the things right. we wanted to fix so um yeah it affects it all there now the interesting when we did that name change we had a problem with a feature flag actually so we tested a bunch of stuff but the thing we didn't do a lot of testing on was we had a banner that pops up when we want to let people know about something. Um, we can pop up a banner in the top of the screen and we'd had this code in for years. You know, we've used it for many different, different things. And sure. so we used it again for this because like, Hey, you may have noticed like your emails have changed, you know, um, we, we made it so people could opt into the new UI. So it was minimum, minimize the disruption, but you may notice the emails have changed. We've got a new name, Azure DevOps, click here to learn more, like don't panic. So that was cool. It was a banner that people had. It was all working. We switched that feature flag on. That was the first time we'd switched that feature flag on, you know, for this particular, as part of this release. And then we noticed the outbound network um, traffic jump. And we're like, huh. huh. And it didn't just jump a little bit. It jumped and kept jumping, kept going up really quickly. Uh-oh. And we're like, hmm, what's going on here? And we started diagnosing the problem and it was very and this is live you know this is as we're doing that we, we see it happening we can see the telemetry coming in right you're in production but we're literally live on a call like because we're, mm -hmm. we're we, you know we knew it's a disruptive change so we've got everybody together making these changes on a conference call as we're doing them so we can make sure we see what's going on we notice this happening and within you know a few within like a minute oh look at this some some json file that's coming back from the server is getting the banner in it and it's being ignored but it's getting the banner text inserted in it well that's dumb because why would you put the right. banner text in a json file that's crazy and then it's not just getting one copy it's getting multiple copies and it turned out we had a bug where we were adding this banner text into these files that didn't need it and not only that we kept adding it in because of some crazy book <laughs> and then so we had like 50 or a million of them you know and then quickly these things were expanding out and that's what's happening so we we just switched the feature flag off and we stopped right. giving the banner for a, a couple of hours so now the banner's off telemetry looks good everybody's happy we then went and because it's a non-essential function it's a non-essential feature who cares about the sure, banner? it really? can be off mm -hmm. yeah we then went and fixed the banner bug and then rolled that fixed through the production estate and then once that fix was a, a bit, which takes a, a, you know a reasonable amount of time normally we like to when we're doing a big change we like to let 
things bake for 24 hours between a ring so you sure. get a free busy yeah. period but um we just we we pushed it through you know doing a few an hour gap between each ring to make sure it was okay just took about four or five hours to get through the entire system making sure it was all safe switched the feature flag back on again and it was you know and it was fixed and now people had the banner ad so there, that was a combination of both feature flags and then progressive exposure of of stuff through the estate which was you know that's how it should work yeah, but it's yeah, it's a great scenario of just that, you know, when you talk about testing in production, using feature flags to control things, and the rolling forward. Yeah. You know, they didn't back the old code out. They just replaced it with new code that worked properly. If you're not smart enough to do it right the first time, what's the odds that you're smart enough to have figured out what your rollback plan is going to be and be able to just instantly do it? You nearly always roll. Well, you always roll forward, you know? Yeah, even if it is older code. Especially with SQL changes. <laughs> yeah. There is no way back most of the time. So, I mean, it's kind of astonishing to me to hear you talk through how a company the size of Microsoft has done this because I think much smaller teams are struggling. Like, what? how did it work? How did you get there? Baby steps. It's taken us 10 years. Like, it started when I joined the company in 2010. And here we are in, you know, 2019 as we go, as we're broadcasting. And... When when we're nowhere near there yet, we've got a lot of things we can improve. Sure, I, I got to think having someone like Brian Harry at the helm, who clearly, to me, as every time I've ever talked to him, very progressive thinker, like open to new ways of doing things. Well, and it's from the top down as well. You know, sure. Guthrie's the same. So and Satch is the same now as well. Yeah. You know, so it's it's all about yeah. You hear this term growth mindset, which you know you know it's like it's a term, but actually it's a thing as well. It's people it, the whole. The organ and this is this is a great example of culture change. It's where top down meets bottom up. Right. So top down are, are pushing the essential nature of learning and continuous improvement and not blaming, but trying to learn. Yes. You know, if you have an outage, that's that's an expensive training course I've just put my team on. Right. You know, that's how you've got to kind of think about things. But I think this um, is where the top down part comes in. If the top is punitive to any outage to any failure if you're not allowed to fail in public like basically able to see within the organization that we've made a mistake and learn from it like if there's that punishment then you're kind of trapped like you can never get better that's where i see the top-down piece coming but you can't make people you know be willing to take chances until it's actually a safe place to do it exactly and you've got so it's the kind of as a leader it's the questions you ask of your team that's always important um but then the team are learning are doing stuff new ways and kind of have to be encouraged to try these things and when and spread out the knowledge of what's working so the answer is how do we do in a company like microsoft one sprint at a time you right. know and uh, and still miles to go yeah we just sprint 145 right now on our on our product wow. and every, every sprint's three weeks so we just keep on keep on getting a little bit better every sprint if we can and you know some sprints you you go focus on some other stuff and then you kind of lose your mojo a little bit in a particular area and then you realize that and you you go work on it again it's a continuing continuous improvement i love that martin what a great story just a combination of both trying to apply these principles and working within the, the team itself thank you so much for sharing it with me Thank you. And we'll talk to you next time on Run As Radio. Mm-hmm.